are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. You get over there around Hebrews, you're right next door to the book of James. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And real quickly, remember the book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. James is the oldest sibling of Jesus next to Jesus. So uh, James is writing a book. A lot of people look at the book of James. It's kind of like a New Testament Proverbs because it appears as if James is jumping around a lot. Now, last week, I I told you about Mike Tyson. You remember years ago, Mike Tyson, the heavyweight champion of the world, uh, an unbelievable boxer in his own right, was scheduled to fight in a heavyweight title bout with Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield is a strong Christian, a strong man of God. And, And so, to be honest with you, as a minister, I was pulling for Holyfield. Well, in the middle of that fight, there came a point when... Mike Tyson bit off a portion of Evander Holyfield's ear. And the fight was immediately stopped. And I told you that he uh, was, lost his license. Mike Tyson did. He was fined $3 million. He went through great heartache and suffering. He apologized, but it really wasn't much to it. I told you years later, I think it was several years, may have been nine years later, he was on the Oprah Winfrey show when Oprah brought up that particular fight in that moment when he bit Evander Holyfield's ear off. And Oprah looked at Mike Tyson and said, you apologize, but did you really mean it? What was going on in your mind that you would bite a man's ear off in a fight? And Mike Tyson said Evander Holyfield was a better boxer at that time than I was. He was getting the upper hand. He was going to win. And in a desperate effort, in that moment, I did whatever I thought I could to win the fight. She said, did you uh, mean, when you apologized to, to Holyfield, did you really mean it after the fight? He said, it's weighed on me ever since. About that time, Evander Holyfield, and I almost tear up, came from off the stage on Oprah Winfrey's show, walked over to Mike Tyson, and in that moment, these two powerful men, um, both of them heavyweight champions in their own right, embraced one another. There was true forgiveness. A lot of it because of Evander Holyfield and the kindness by which he showed Mike Tyson. We went on to say this, that a lot of times you and I are like that. We have conflict, difficulties. We can't get along with people. We find ourselves, as Paul said, devouring one another. We're chewing each other up. You ever heard somebody say, he chewed me out? That's what it means. And so James here is talking about you and I being able to get along. So in James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, what causes fights and 
quarrels among you. He's just like Jesus. He's a master of asking questions. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Now look at this. Now watch this. You do not have because you do not ask God. That's it. Now let me tell you something real quickly here. A lot of us, we quit asking God and we started looking to man to solve whatever problems we have. Right? We quit asking God. We started trying to figure out how we could answer our own prayers. You know, that's what Sarah did when God took a long time to send a son. She said, well, how about you sleep with Hagar? We'll have Ishmael, and that'll something." You know, she was answering her own prayer. But listen to this, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive. In other words, you do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think this scripture says without reason that the the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. There it is. The word Greek, the Greek word there, hupatasso, come under authority, fall into rank, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. Lord, I pray that you give me what I need right now. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I, um, I really don't know the direction to go this morning. So I'll just be honest with you. So I want to tell you what God is doing in my life right now. So I'm going to, because James chapter 4 deals with our inability to get along with each other. And let me tell you, your enemy Satan loves that. He loves that. So let me walk you through what we've done on Wednesday nights. And let me tell you what kind of spiritual theophany that God is sending into my life right now. Uh... Matthew 18, 15 through 19, Jesus talks about you and I when we have conflict, when there's difficulties. And Jesus said this, he said, when you have conflict and you can't seem to resolve it, let me tell you what you do. This is what you do. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15 through 19, he said, you go and you sit down with your brother or your sister and you share the hurt, the pain, Whatever's going on, you open up, you, you're transparent, you tell them what's wrong, and you try to work it out one-on-one. That's what you do. He said, if you're able to do that, 
then you've won your brother, you've won your sister. You've healed the conflict, the relationship. You're back together. He said, but if that doesn't work, then you grab a, a, a spiritually mature brother or sister, you go back to the table, you sit down with that person again, and you say, listen, I brought somebody else along with me. They're not on my side. They're kind of a peacemaker, a mediator, because blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And so this person comes alongside of you, and you're still trying to resolve the conflict. You want to find healing. You want to restore the relationship. Jesus said, and if that doesn't fail, you can imagine Jesus as he's captivating a crowd, and he's talking about a problem that we all have. It's in our marriages, in our homes, in our communities, in our government, in, in law enforcement. It's, in, it's in out, out in the streets of our city. It's everywhere. People just can't get along. We can't resolve conflict. We don't know how to fix the problems that we have. Jesus said, if that doesn't work, bring it to the church. And we said this because unity is everything to Jesus. In fact, Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible said that God, God, the Creator, was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. As my old African friend said, when I was living in Zimbabwe and asked him as I was going to a village that had never heard about Jesus, never had a Bible, knew nothing, and I said, how do, you, how do you tell people about Christ who've never heard? And that old African pastor grabbed my jacket and he said, Nyama. And then he said, Mwadi. Nyama meant flesh. Mwadi meant God. And old Mufundis Jaina, that old African pastor, said, Mwadi akafeka munyama. God put on the flesh of man, invaded his creation, to reconcile lost man to his creator God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Conflict resolution is everything. Jesus wants unity. He wants unity in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your community, in government, in nations. He wants unity everywhere. But you and I have an enemy and he doesn't want it. And so we went from Matthew 18, on Wednesday nights we went to Job chapter 1, verse 8. And you remember this scene, God is on His throne. And the Bible says that in the book of Job that the, that the, the angels were coming and they were standing in line as if they were giving an account of what they had been doing. And there's old Lucifer, there's the light bearer. There's, O Satan, Diabolos, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He's working his way up to the throne of God. And finally, the creator of the universe looks at him and says, Where have you been? And the Hebrew, he said, I've been running around all over the earth. And it's the picture of like the Tasmanian devil spinning and moving. Sowing discord, disunity, breaking down relationships. And God picks a fight with the devil. He looks at the devil and says, have you considered my servant? In all your wandering and running around, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He's blameless. He's righteous. 
He shuns evil, and he fears God. He's blameless, righteous, fears God, shuns evil in that order. When I read that, I thought, what in the world is blameless? He names blameless before being righteous. He names blameless before fearing God. He names blameless before shunning evil. What is this Hebrew word that is called, the, it's like the name Tom in the Hebrew, Tom. What does it mean? It means that he's a, he's a man of integrity. He's real, he's open, he's honest, he's naked. That's what it means. It means to be naked. This is who I am. There's, there's no hypocrisy. I don't wear a mask. This is me. And God said, I value that trait, that non-hypocritical life. I value that more than fearing God, shunning evil and righteousness. Blameless. Honest, open. This is who he is. Real, raw. This is me. And then from there, we went to Genesis chapter 3. And that scene where Adam and Eve were in the garden, and the Bible said they would walk with God in the cool of the evening. The Bible says that one day that Satan, Lucifer, the light bearer, Slewfoot, the devil, Diabolos, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, he's in the garden. And all of a sudden, he looks at Adam and Eve and begins to coerce them, manipulate them, telling them that somehow God is robbing them. And he begins to sow discord, disunity in the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. And you know what happened. The Bible said they listened to the devil. They partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, do you know what they did? What did they do? Forgive me, camera. They did this. Adam, where are you? Lord, I'm here. Adam, why did you hide? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? I partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I realized that I was naked. That's exactly what Satan wanted. Every parent knows this. We said this. Every parent at some time in the development of your children when they were small, you would look and go, where did you hear that? Who told you that? Where did you hear that word? Why? Because in that moment, as a parent, you realize innocence has been robbed from your child and it makes you very angry because you didn't want them to grow up too quickly. 
He wanted them to hang on to childhood and enjoy it as long as they could. And now, all of a sudden, Hollywood or movies or peers or other things have poured into their life information that they did not need. And their brain kicks in the maturation process. And now they look like a young lady when they're 9 and 10 years old because their brain says to them with all this knowledge, Grow up! What did Satan want? Satan wanted to steal that nakedness. That real, raw, this is who I am. They were not hiding Adam and Eve just from God. They were hiding from each other. And what did God do? Stay with me. I'm not going to keep you alone today. They had somehow manipulated some garment on their own. in an attempt to hide themselves. They were not only hiding from God, they were hiding from each other, Adam and Eve. All relationships were broken down between them and God, between them and each other, and this is where they were. This is man's attempt to cover his sin. I'm going to be good. You're not going to be good enough. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No matter how many leaves you turn over, there'll never be enough. And God says, Adam, you can't erase what's been done. In the Hebrew, you die, die. Adam, your body physically now is dying. Death is now taken over. But Adam, you've also died spiritually. And Adam, the only way that we can cover your sin is I'm going to have to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to have to kill. And the Bible said that he killed an animal. And he took that animal's skin, that hide, and he covered the sin of Adam and Eve. Fig leaves were taken away. God's garments were placed in, in, in place of that, those fig leaves, and now they were covered. They were no longer naked. But God said, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, Adam. Some, something has to die. Something innocent died spilled its blood so that you could have freedom. Then he looked at Satan. He said, Satan, he said, one day the hill of man will bruise your head. It'll crush your head. And if you remember Mel Gibson's The Last Temptation of Christ, if you remember it opens... In the movie, the garden scene in Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. Do you remember that scene? And, and Satan, like a snake, is weaving all around as Jesus is praying. But when he says these words, not my will, but thy will be done, when he does that and he stands to his feet, the head of the snake is crushed in that moment. Ultimately, God says, I'm going to have to settle the problem of sin once and for all. 
I'll send my son. I said to the foxes, I said, you're in good company. When we walked, we prayed with them one day after a walk. I said, you now feel the heart of God. Because his son was innocent too. But he voluntarily, because he loved everybody in this room, everybody in the sound of my voice, Mwadi, as the old African Mufundis Jaina said, Ledge, Mwadi Akafeka Munyama, Jesus Christ, God, in Christ reconciling the world to himself, put on the flesh of man, invaded his own creation to do what only he could do. And that is bring reconciliation between you and between God. You know, this week, I was asked to do, or just decided to do, but I did a book review on the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. It's not the first time I've read this book. Young people, do you see it? Davion, do you see that? Come up here, Davion. I want you to see that. See this. You see these pages? Dog-eared, double-dog-eared, great. Eh. You see that? You see that, Davion? Would you say I value the book? Oh, I'm not giving it to you. You can go back and sit down. I just want you to see it. Davion, I believe God has His hand on you, and I believe God has things in store for you to do that no other young man I know right now can do any better. But I would suggest it might be good to read this book. King ends, Martin Luther King ends, Jr., ends by saying these words. He said, a drum major for righteousness. I learned a lot. He wasn't a communist. He wasn't following Marx and Lenin. In the end, he made the decision in his heart to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Beyond that, he followed the teachings of Gandhi and understanding that the way to beat Injustice was through non-violent resistance. That's why we are praying. That's why we walk. And it would do good for some of you to join with this family and to walk. But listen to what King said. He said, every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator that's something we call death. We all think about it. And every now and then I think about my own death. And I think about my own funeral. And I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said and I leave the word to you this morning. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life 
serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and to serve humanity. King didn't realize when he wrote that how quickly his life would end. But I have to ask you a question this morning. First of all, are you reconciled to God? And that only comes through Jesus Christ. You can be baptized, you can have a membership in a church, you can walk the aisle, you can have parents that are Christians, grandparents, but it doesn't matter. None of that makes a dime's worth of difference. King's great-grandfather was a preacher, his grandfather was a preacher, his dad was a preacher. That didn't make any difference in King's life. Do you know Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Put your faith and trust in Christ. Turn your life over to Him. She did. She did in a college room. A 19-year-old widow whose husband was murdered in the drug world. She gave her life to Christ, and her life has never been the same. And you know what she said to me yesterday evening? She said, when I die one day, would you do me a favor? I said, what? And she began to cry. Would you just tell people about Jesus? Do you know him? He loves you. He gave his life for you. He stands right now to reconcile you to God the Father, to the Creator, to put you in a right relationship, to pay for all your sin, everything that you've ever done, to put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, this is what He does. You know what He does? He takes your sin-filled garments, mine too, and He takes them and He puts them on and He wears them to Calvary. And then He takes His spotless, righteous garments and He wraps them around you and I in that moment that you and I repent and put our faith and trust. And when we stand before God one day, God looks at us and you know what He says? He doesn't say, hello, Jeff. He says, hello, Jesus. Come on in. Covered by the blood of the Lamb. Because I knelt in an office one day when life was kicking me around, put my face in the chair in front of my desk and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Have you done that? And then guess what? God gives you the ministry of reconciliation. You know, I, I, I told Sheila, I said, I've wept a lot. I wept uh, a lot. This is not the first time I've read this book, but I wept. And I said, as I read his letter from the Birmingham jail, I wept because he was writing to clergy, to preachers, who had abandoned him in his time of need. He felt so betrayed. He was in jail. 
and he was in jail, falsely accused, wrongly condemned, wrongly accused, and the preachers that should have been standing by his side had taken an article out in the Birmingham paper condemning, calling him an extremist, calling him a believer in anarchy, just attacking him in every way, and it hurt him so deeply and so much. But his life was given for the ministry of reconciliation. Is yours. Are you a peacemaker? Is your life in service to Christ or not? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you that through your love, your mercy, your grace, and your goodness, that, Lord, you forgive us, you cleanse us, you restore us into a right relationship. The word justification means just as if I had never committed one sin. The penalty of my sin. This sweet family, imagine, dear Lord, if there was someone in this room, this dad, I've Watched him weep over his son as he's walked and prayed. Stirred my heart. But Lord, imagine right now if to these parents, someone were to smile and say, I'm going to get your son out of jail right now. And they went to that jail and they simply said, I'm taking... Whatever accusations have been made against him, whatever sentence, I'm taking that on me. Let him go free. What a glorious reunion that would be with his parents, his wife, his children. And Lord, that's all of us. That's all of us. You've, you've set us free. You've paid our penalty. You've carried out our sentence. You've wrapped us in the robes of righteousness. And when the Father looks at us now, He sees His Son, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray if there's one here today, a man or woman, boy or girl, who has a pastor friend yet said yesterday over the funeral of his mother-in-law, he said, I often ask people, if you died right now, would your next breath be in heaven? Would you be in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord? So, Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would repent of their sin and through a simple childlike prayer say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior today, right now. Lord, I pray for others that, Lord, they're not doing what they need to do. You've not just called uh, Dr. King. you called all of us to be the balms of Gilead, to be the healing, to be the peacemakers, to hear the heart cry of parents whose hearts are broken when a son has been falsely accused. The Lord, as the ledge said, there's so many that have been falsely accused where country with a system that's broken and that can only be fixed by by you lord so as Therese said we need to pray so lord give us the ministry of reconciliation help us to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves 
Speak to us now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. You come. If you want to make a commitment to Christ, you're a young person here today. What greater opportunity to come and to give your life to Christ in service. There's some that are called to ministry, some that are called to missions, some that are called to get out of their comfortable lifestyle and to walk across this city and begin to invest in this city, going into communities. Do not talk about Christ and the Bible when you lack the ability or the desire, the passion to walk the streets of this city and invest in the lives of other people. God's calling you today. You come. May never be a moment like this moment.